Hi again, folks. Welcome to another edition of the Hurtwood News Podcast. Can I just say, first of all, thank you to everybody who uh, has listened to our first two episodes. It's really encouraging to know that you're out there and, and hopefully enjoying something that is being said. Um, we're trialling something completely new, as though this wasn't new enough already, uh, this week, which is some original material from Hurtwood students. We've got two poets and one prose writer debuting some completely original work. Um, and we've got Kat and Nat both reading uh, some of their poems. And we've got Shanice reading a first chapter from a piece of short fiction that she's writing. And I just wanted to say how completely blown away I was by the enthusiasm and the performances, the creativity, actually the professionalism of the kids that took part in this. Um, Ill did an absolutely fabulous job of performing their own work, which is no easy thing. Writers uh, are not always the best people to be performing their own work. And they did great. Uh, Shanice, in particular, who who read and then for some reason it didn't record. And then she came back the next day and did it again. And did it, I think, even better than she did it the first time. So, But thanks to, to Kat and to Nat and to Shanice, all three of them, they did such a great job. We hope you enjoy the first edition of Original Writers as part of the Hurtwood Muse podcast. If you like what we're doing and if you think you know other people that might be interested, get them to sign up to subscribe to the podcast as well at musehurtwood.com. Till next time, folks. Great. Fantastic. Fantastic stuff. Um, I don't know if I should, like, sort of give my little openings to the poem like I did with you or if I should By just... all means. I think I think you, you make it personal, so... Um, uh... Oh, my God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> I've got another one. Um, it'll be fine. That happens all the time. Sorry. Look, let me do that. I have. Let me prep that and put that there. There we go. Um, so, everyone's Right. Fine. So, this is a piece I wrote for a competition. Um, it was the first one I'd ever, like, written for a competition. Like, my teacher in my old school put me up for it. Um, I... It was a very strange experience because before I just sort of written really like free form stuff, whatever I wanted, but now I, it was very sort of limited constraints. I get to do it based on another poem. It was a whole mess. Um, so <laughs> I sort of wrote a strange um, meta poem in response. Um, if if you hear an interesting noise during it, um, I yeah, everything's fine. Life is fine. Let's get on with it. Okie dokes. Um, <laughs> I should probably clarify that strange noise will be me slapping myself. Let's go, okay. Be still and wreck it. Screw it, nothing would arise in me because how is this poetry with poeticism based in a lie, <laughs> an inherent lie, in creation onto another? You wring it to the grave and it, it blinds you. Are you looking for stilted expression? <laughs> a feign facade of ecstasy behind a dismally tragic, shattered past? <laughs> Words behind nothing, answers without meaning, critique without perspective, all I want throughout agony and needing and wanting and choking and clawing and curling is that fusion with it. 
the rage haunting me, the passion snapping at me, and the bitterness gripping at me, the inarticulacy of it all. It, it is the need for it to travel, truly, to become more than all of their disenchanted parts. Find me. Preach me. Oh, shut up! Become me. Stop it! No, I twist and unravel and unbind, and I am terrified, ever so terrified, that I am wrong. I am only and just the young girl that wept in her room. It's like a disease. Is fusion possible? Is it just some crooked dream high on survivor's bias? Could it ever have been true, or is it simply me doomed to insignificance because I did not search wide enough for it? There is no order, aura, claw at it, find it only to see null. Is this wrong? Am I wrong? Is this diseased? Is this worth less if you see this? But could I care? Do I crave them? Could I crave them? Do I crave these eyeballs? Is this a manic, ungodly, disgusting, raging and incomplete mess, or is it right? Colourful, am I supposed to know? Who do you see me as? Is it unsubtle or candid? Is it raw or just hormonal? And you've lost it, and you were meant to, and you never really saw it. Please. I'm willing you. Open. You're there. Please. 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 Hey, so that's some kind of weird. <laughs> um, so there's creative liberty. What fun. <laughs> that is my Fantastic. Um, so this is a piece on sleep. Oh, sleep. You elusive, gentle breeze upon my left elbow as it sticks out of the blanket. You, the tickle on my toes, they twitch on the fabrics. A heaving breath, a bit lip, the rolling stifle in my throat as I force another swallow down the gullet. You, embryonic tribal mechanism to hide us away in the dark of the viper slick days. You, paralyzing me to a pulp once more, you selfish bitch! running wildly in my eyeballs and their lashes straining for a slap as my eyes just strain again, even as I press my thick skeleton into the blanket now. In an effort to elude you, wind your way through and always up back into me. <laughs> you lick around me a cruel pathos, I'd weep if you weren't so warm, really. You interconnect and weave your fingertips across mine, into them, even connecting with me, finally, and bend down just to whisper. <laughs> That black coat pile sure looks like an Easter Island head. Wouldn't it be weird if it spoke to you? Do you think it would be nice? I rate, I turn to elbow you in the eyeballs. And then now you're gone again, leaving me in a cold, slightly damp to the forehead wake, just as you've unfurled yourself. Another tongue takes root in sticking its hooks into my fingertippies where it does not belong. It's not warm, like you, not so saccharine. It permeates me to my lungs and ears, raging and laughing as my heart screeches in dismay as a definite banshee wails as it's ceaselessly stabbed and probably hung against a tree, its dark blood trickling from every crevice now sculpted into it, leaving a banksy on the box as it seeps. Oh, my eyelashes suddenly become heavyweights, and now I blink feverishly, frantically, the heart lost mania as it harshly cries me. That'll be me. Maybe it already is. Oh, Jesus, it's going to come for me. 
And now my teeth have accumulated grit from the gritting, and my tongue is pressing up against the mouth, like an especially aroused egomaniac, all while my mind sits lethargically reclining, rolling its own eyes, or at least mutated brain tissue in the shape of them, as our idiocy drones on. The mind, of course, knows it's the hooks, the hooking that we're all hooked on. Oh, the humanity of it all. Soon, we're in a group session, therapy, as mind takes no mind in how we mind him, just sits there, almost as aggravated as me to you, then eventually, delightedly, berates us, just as we're roused to listen, and the hooks finally release their teeth. At last. I settle back to the cotton lands, <laughs> nuzzling like the animal you've reduced me to, down into your little uh, cosmic solace, I guess. I don't hate you for the right now. You're here, at least you're here, and you're rough, but you're just enough delicious, really. And with you against my back, the dogs don't seem so shrill, not now. And my pillows quite suddenly seem laced with some soft chloroform as I sink back against you, tuning to your motions, your breath, finally entirely cohesive. <laughs> but I swear to it, in the morning I'll bitch again. Yay. What a fun piece. Haikus for the undammed. Gas-masked little girls, hair burnt too short for pigtails, heads want of flowers. Quiet little boys sent to sleep when the gas came, dreaming in the dirt. This voice is full and cannot accept messages. I'm sorry I missed your call. I was in the bath waiting to feel real. This sadness tastes like almonds. Bitter, bitter, bitter. And everything aches. This sickly feeling of immobility. My limbs are in paralysis, but my mind refuses to break. Is this what it is to be human? Maybe it's a misdiagnosis. Maybe this is just pedestrian sadness. Maybe because I've always had a proclivity for the dramatics. Three weeks is too long to go without someone who will listen. Here's to the fire that burns deep inside. Here's to the glory that shines oh so bright. Here's to the magic I'll give to you. Now raise your broken glasses and drink from them. Miss Flynn. Bobby dropped her pen in shock and looked up at Mrs. Smith, who seemed anything but happy. She was about to finish the song. One more letter. One more letter and the song of the century would have been written and it would have conquered the world, no doubt. Every darn time. What was history even good for? Napoleon, French Revolution, all the same. Some stupid guys who didn't know about fairness and human rights and make people fight and then died, by no means more important than her song. If Mrs. Smith would have let her finish it, it would have gone down in history too, that was for sure. Are we interrupting something? She asked, clicking her tongue. It was always a bad sign when she did that, and Pubby must know because these kinds of situations occurred at least twice a week. Do you really want me to answer that? Bobby murmured quietly, knowing fully well that this would send her to detention. Mrs. Smith sighed and took out a little notebook. The notebook. She ripped out a page and wrote something on it. Probably something like, Miss Flynn never pays attention to the oh-so-important things I'm teaching the class. Or maybe even, Miss Flynn is behaving unacceptably disrespectful. If she doesn't lose her attitude, she will get suspended from my class. That was something she would have written if she had a really bad day. Detention after class for you, Miss Flynn, she said. She spit the words out as if she wanted to spit them right into Bobby's face and make them stick on her forehead for the rest of her life. Detention. 
Bobby hated detention, but she hated history even more. She hated maths too, and physics, and chemistry, and art, and English, and French. The only subject she didn't hate was music. Sure, Mr. Stevens was a complete ass with a beard that made him look like Elvis Dumbledore, and a jumper that looked like something Bobby's grandmother would wear, not to mention his green belt that was way too tight to be allowed. But he let her sing, and she was more than grateful for that, because she was pretty sure she wouldn't survive high school without stupid Mr. Stevens and his weird music classes. Bobby scoffed and murmured something under her breath about how annoying the school was, when she noticed that Mrs. Smith was giving her an admonishing look and then her finger pointed at the piece of paper, or rather artwork, that Bobby was holding in her hands. No! Bobby almost shouted, making the whole class look at her. They had always judged her. She had never been taken for full. No one could understand a 17-year-old girl who was obsessed with rock music, dreaming of performing in front of thousands, no, millions of people. Miss Flynn, the paper. Bobby shook her head. Now! She was getting angrier by the second, and it wouldn't take much more and she would call Bobby's dad. Which was not a very big deal, actually. Her dad was the only one who understood her love for music. Maybe it was because he used to be in a rock band when he was her age. If you took a closer look, you could still see the tattoos on his arms. He was trying to hide them, but with little success. Do you want me to call your dad? Here goes. Please, Mrs. Smith, this is important to me, very important. I swear I will do every punishment that is necessary if you allow me to keep it. Mrs. Smith sighed, and for one moment Bobby had hope, and she thought that maybe Mrs. Smith was not just an unfair, uptight, horrible human being. But just a few seconds after, her hope got destroyed, and Mrs. Smith became an even worse person than she already was to Bobby. Maybe you will get it back when you learn to behave. Great, she would never get it back then. Bobby sighed. Please! Now, Bobby! Mrs. Smith would not change her mind. And so, Bobby gave her the best song she had ever written in her life, and that meant something because she had written a lot of songs. She had started writing songs when she was only six years old. She had 105 finished songs, 10 half-finished songs, and five melodies that were hidden somewhere in her phone, and which, to Bobby, had great potential. Oh, no, now she had 104 songs, thank to Mrs. Smith crazy frustrated woman. So, you're in detention for... He adjusted his glasses, gave Bobby a quick glance, then continued. Not paying attention in class and rude behaviour. He put the paper on his wooden desk inside. Miss Flynn, he began. This was the beginning to every single glorious speech Bobby had heard from him so far. Bobby played with a strand of her messy hair, which to her defence only looked this messy because of the new shampoo her dad had bought for her. A very large bottle that was supposed to promise perfect and soft hair. Well, not really. You have been in detention five times this month, and we have already talked to your father about this. You don't want to get suspended, do you? No, I don't, but Mr. Clark, no buts anymore, Miss Flynn. One more note like this. He whacked it in front of her face and it almost made her feel dizzy and you will have a serious problem with staying in this school. Bobby defeatedly sighed. Mrs. Smith keeps telling about the notes you write in class. Bobby looked up at him. She says you write songs? Bobby nodded. You see, everyone has a hobby or a talent, Miss Flynn, but if you're great suffer because of said hobby, we have to ask ourselves if it's really worth it. It was. I'm not saying you should stop writing songs. I'm saying write songs in your free time, all right? There were a bunch of things Bobby would have loved to say in that moment. 
But she knew Mr. Clark wouldn't understand. No one ever did. So she kept her mouth shut and simply nodded. During lunch, Bobby found herself in the middle of a fight. Not that she was in it. She really wanted to. She wanted to beat that coward of an 18-year-old idiot up who dared to make a fool out of Anna by pointing out her extraordinary style of clothing. Bobby being the friend she was, she defended her and said some things that she wasn't exactly proud of, knowing fully well that this would send Hunter, the infamous leader of the Black Jacket Gang, they probably made that name up in fifth grade, over the edge. To Bobby's fortune and the misfortune of the boy who kindly stepped in and tried to help, Hunter ended up not beating Bobby up, who was actually at fault, but poor Carter Williams. Carter didn't stand a chance, and there was nothing Bobby wanted to do more than to help him, but remembering the words of Mr. Clark, she couldn't. The only thing she could do was standing there and watching Carter groan in pain whenever Hunter's fist met his jaw or any other body parts. We should probably go, Anna whispered to her and was about to pull her away from the massive crowd of people that had formed themselves around the two, but Bobby shook her head and refused. Anna saw the look on Bobby's face and she knew it meant anything but good. Don't, please, she whispered, but Bobby wouldn't be Bobby if she would have listened to her to responsible friend. She took a few steps forward to separate herself from the crowd so she was right in front of the two fighting boys. Hunter! Of course he didn't listen. Because Hunter wouldn't be Hunter if he would have actually given a damn. Didn't know you were deaf. Hunter looked up at Bobby for a second and paused, beating poor Carter that was pinned to the ground. He looked back at Carter, whose face was bloody and bruised, and they wanted to suspend Bobby for writing songs, then stood up and walked straight towards Bobby, who stood her ground and had her arms crossed over her chest. Yes, she would lie if she said she wasn't at least a little scared of what that idiot was capable of, but she would have never admitted that. And who are you? Protecting your pathetic boyfriend? He was so close, Bobby could smell his scent. It was anything but pleasant to her. Sweat mixed with cigarettes, mixed with alcohol, mixed with aftershave, which was way too strong. Ugh. The crowd of people were still watching, excited of what would happen next, while Anna was desperately trying to get everyone away from the scene. She wanted to shout at him and hit him, but that would have been a bad idea. He just smirked at her. Disgusting just like all the others who didn't take her for full. It made her want to throw up right on his expensive-looking, stupid leather jacket. Hunter Ashton? It was Mr. Clark's voice, and for once Bobby was thankful to hear it. Hunter, on the other hand, didn't even bother to look at angry Mr. Clark and fixated his gaze on Bobby that returned it with all the disgust she could to let him know what she thought of him. His eyes were almost black. Like his heart, Bobby thought. Crazy punk. Hunter ran his hand through his platinum blonde hair, let his tongue poke his inner cheek, and then looked at Mr. Clark. Office. Now, he demanded sharply. Hunter grinned, looked at Bobby one last time, and then walked off. Bobby sighed, in relief, or maybe because she was so annoyed. She looked at Carter, who was still struggling to get up. Are you okay there? She asked, and offered him a hand, which he gratefully took. I'm okay. He's just... he's... you know... don't worry about it. Bobby smiled at him and he smiled back. That was the first time she had looked into Carter's eyes. She would never forget it. His eyes were green, light green, a very beautiful light green. And when you took a closer look, they had a sprinkle of blue in them. Bobby liked his eyes. They were exciting. They were inspiring. Eyes like a summer night makes you feel warm inside. Know it's going to be all right when I look at you. Bobby... Wait! Bobby! Just one more second! I'm serious, Bobby! 
Bobby sighed and looked up at her dad, who was leaning against the kitchen table. His tattooed arms rested on the cold marble kitchen counter. "'What is it, Dad?' she said in a sharp voice, sharper than intended, which made her dad give her an unamused look. "'Sorry, I was just... writing songs again.' Bobby nodded. "'Can I hear it?' "'It's not finished yet.' Her dad only replied with a deep throaty sound that he always made when he didn't want to use words, more often than normal for a 46-year-old ex-rock-and-roller. So, I thought you could use some inspiration. Bobby gave him a questioning look and then looked down at the paper with her unfinished song on it, as if saying, I think I've more than enough inspiration at the moment. I mean, more inspiration. I'm not following. I'm going to a concert tonight. A concert? Bobby loved concerts. She had only been to one in her life so far, but it was one of the best days in her life. It was thrilling. It was amazing. So many different people from different backgrounds with different thoughts and interests, but they were all in this giant hall for the same reason, listening to the same sound, loving it equally. It was just music. Everything you heard, everything you felt. It was as if a heartbeat beat in time with the rhythm of the songs. It was perfect. Well, actually, it's more of a, it's more like a it's, it's not a real concert. It's just a band playing in a pub. What band? Bobby asked curiously. I don't know. Daniel told me about it. He said he thought you would like their music. Daniel was her grandmother's ex and third husband, and one of the coolest persons she'd ever met in her life, which was probably why he was still part of the family. He was old, smoked a lot, used a lot of curse words, and said things like. Pete's sake, I swear on my great-great-grandmother Alfreda's grave if you don't f***ing tell me where you hit my f***ing car keys, I will beat the living f out of you. He said that to Johnny once, Bobby's older cousin. She was five and quite terrified that it was possible to use so many naughty words in one sentence. Also, Bobby still called him Grandpa, simply because she still saw him as one. He was more Grandpa to her than her actual Grandpa. Steve. Even the name made uncomfortable shivers run down Bobby's spine. Some could say he was alright for a 73-year-old man who smelt like old fish, never brushed his teeth, wore the same clothes almost every day, and had the bad habit of giving people two disgustingly wet kisses to greet. Others, Bobby, thought that he needed to change a few things to be bearable. Is Grandpa coming too? Oh, no, he's feeling a bit sick. Oh, well, when are we going then? At about eight, which is in an hour, so you better get ready. Bobby nodded and was about to go up the stairs into her room when her dad stopped her. Mr. Clark called me today. Bobby sighed and turned around, her hands still on the banisters. They said they wouldn't call you, Bobby murmured while leaning to the side, imitating the titanic pose. Her dad sighed and crossed his arms over his chest, frowning at Bobby. I'm sorry. Are you? He knew she wasn't, which was why he didn't wait for an answer and just shook his head. Bobby... We talked about this. I know, Dad, but but it wasn't just a song. It was a masterpiece. She wouldn't understand. Mr. Clark doesn't either. No one ever does. I'm not going to stop writing songs because of that. I'm not going to restrain my inspiration from coming. That's where creativity dies, Dad. Her dad scratched the back of his neck that was covered by his ridiculously long hair and then nodded. How good was it? Bobby smiled. He always understood. It was amazing, the most amazing song I've ever written. It was, it was perfect, 
she swooned, but her smile quickly faded when the painful memory popped up in her head that the song was no longer in her hands. She has it, Bobby said, suddenly angry. Your history teacher? Yeah. So, how are you going to get it back? I don't know. Not at all. She won't let me have it. Her dad paused for a moment, then gave Bobby a confident smile. I'm going to call her then, I guess. See what I can do. Bobby looked up at him with wide eyes and jumped into his arms in an instant. He stumbled backwards a few steps, trying to find hole in a cupboard nearby, laughing at Bobby's excitement. When she left the house to go to the pub with her dad that night, she had no idea that her life would never be the same again. I'm done. Yes. I, it's still recording. I just didn't want to touch it. <laughs>